0: I think a lot of people don't realize the correlation between porn and trafficking. You, li- you literally cannot have one without the other. A pornified culture feeds into the desire and demand for sex and purchasing of sex.
1: On today's episode, we discuss Sloan's journey to joining Exodus Cry, visiting brothels in Cambodia, the impact of the porn industry on human trafficking, how modern day platforms like OnlyFans are encouraging the idea of paying for sex, Exodus Cry's newest documentary, and much, much more. Episode 43 with Sloan Wilson begins now. Tell me about how you actually got to Exodus Cry, because it sounds like it's a pretty amazing, Jesus-filled story.
0: I had been working at a different organization for a few years for about four years and then had just transitioned out and started working with another company called the venture challenge which was super fun but towards the end of my time there on like I think it was like nine ten months I just felt this like stirring in my heart to do something that I was really passionate about again and I've always been passionate about the issue of trafficking um, and at the old org I worked for that was something that I kept You know, trying to bring to the table as far as adding it to our podcast or adding it to our blogs, things like that. And so, I don't know. Towards the end of my time at the Adventure Challenge, I started feeling that like stirring in me again. And I had been connected with this organization, Exodus Cry, for a while through the past org that I worked with. Um, And I remember my friend and I like went and grabbed coffee. Who works there at the Adventure Challenge or not the Adventure Challenge? Exodus Cry. She and I grabbed coffee, and I remember just randomly mentioning to her, like, hey, if you guys are ever hiring, because they never hire, because it's small team and it's nonprofit, which if you work in nonprofit life, you know, that just never happens. <laughs> um, I was like, if you guys are ever hiring, let me know. And she just was like, yeah, I mean, totally. I'll, I'll let you know. Um, but that was, you know, a while ago. And I had randomly just made a girl's trip to Orange County with some friends because I was based in Redding, California for a long time. And so we did this like 10 hour trip to Orange County just for, you know, a girl's trip. And it was fun we were just going to be at the beach all day. So I literally only packed like bathing suits and like cover-ups cause we were just going to be at the beach. And on the drive down, I get a call from, um, you know, the, the, the people over at Excess Cry and they were like, Hey, your name keeps coming up in this, you know, specific role that we're wanting to fill at Excess Cry. I mean, you know, we can't kind of get away from it. Like, would you be available at any time to like maybe, you know, chat about this opportunity? Um, like, would you be, you know, down in Orange County anytime soon? And I was like, I am literally like three hours away from Orange County right now. That's so weird. I'm like driving down there right now. And they were like, amazing. So we did like this impromptu quote unquote interview. I was literally wearing like a bathing suit cover up because that's all I packed. (laughs) And I'm like, you know, fingers crossed. They're going to take me as I am right now. Um, And it went great. Our like little interview lasted for like four hours. We talked like through all the things. And um, yeah, eventually I got the job and moved down um, to Orange County. It was so left field because I was just telling you that, Um, I was convinced I was moving to Nashville that was like the thing and I remember leaving Nashville that summer because I'd went there for two weeks to look at apartments and just felt this like feeling of like I don't think it's time yet and I was so bummed because I was like I thought this was my ticket out of Reading. I thought Nashville was my ticket out and then sure enough yeah like a month and a half later this situation came like left field it was wild so been with them since
1: so you talked about like trafficking was something that you were I don't want to put words in your mouth, but always passionate about, aware of. How did that become such a a big focus for you? Or is that something that's more kind of grown since coming on the team with Exodus Cry? I'm just curious of how you kind of stuck out to you on your radar of this is something I'm passionate about or wanting to go work on full time.
0: I, back when I I did ministry school, um, and back when I was in school, I went on, you know, a missions trip to Cambodia. And when we were in Cambodia, we did a lot of red light, red light district ministry. And, um, at the time my idea of what trafficking was, was the taken movie. (laughs) And I feel like that's what a lot of people say. It's like this thing that happens far away and it's like people get kidnapped and it's like a wild, crazy goose chase. Like the movie is. And that was what my idea of what trafficking was. And when I was in Cambodia and we did red light district ministry, um, I think that you can't unsee that. You can't unsee hundreds of women being held captive in broad daylight. You can't unsee that. Um and I remember we had this moment where um we were talking with some of these girls who were in um on the in the brothels and we were just asking them about their lives and we talked to them for a while. I mean, I don't even know how long we were there for, but I remember we were talking with them and we had our um, translator with us. So it was like, and I can't, I I think about this now and I'm like, Oh my gosh, if I had a daughter, I would never, if I found out she was in a brothel, like basically by herself, I was with like three other 21 year olds and one translator that I had no idea what his name even was, you know, it felt so, (laughs) I mean, but I felt like the grace of God in it. But like hearing that now, I'm like, I would never let my daughter do that um but we were sitting in this brothel and we were talking with these girls and I remember asking them their stories like we, how did you what you know like wh- how did you get here essentially I wasn't asking it in a demeaning way just genuinely asking about their lives and a lot of the girls one was like I've always wanted to be a hairdresser um my my parents kicked me out of my house when I was younger and um you know that's kind of how I ended up here and my hope is to still be a hairdresser like they had dreams outside of this place and one girl said that um you know, her parents weren't doing well financially. And so they were the ones that sold her into the brothel and she gives half her paycheck to her family to support her family. And the amount of stories that we heard like that, um, your heart just like, you can't even fathom that your, your, your parent, your own parents would sell you into a brothel where your body's being sold for sex and you were barely 18. Like your mind can't, capture that especially in western culture like we would never um and i remember talking with these girls for a while and it was actually really scary because at one point um we were talking to these girls and we weren't allowed to talk about jesus um that was just kind of one of the rules that the translator had set because they said the mom and the pops of the brothel if they hear jesus immediately they like you're out um which you know is heavy but we were just talking with them and then all of a sudden one of the girls in my group she just had like a a moment of courage I guess and just mentioned Jesus and sure enough one of the moms of the brothel walks in and one by one starts screaming like yelling in a different language and the reality set in I'm like I'm in Cambodia my mom doesn't know I'm here I'm barely 20 years old and I don't know where we're at right now this is so scary this mom is like screaming and one by one starts taking the girls away from us and then our translator starts yelling Back at the mom, so there was a full-on fight happening in front of us in a different language, and we're sitting there like three little, very, uh, you know, just like the picture of the Starbucks white girls, like just sitting there, like what is happening right now, um, and you know, eventually, like he talked her into letting some of the girls stay, and then we talked with him for a little bit longer and then left, and then when we were walking out the girl that I've been chatting with grabbed me and like pulled our translator aside. And she was like, I just want to thank you. Um, And this, every time I think about this it always makes me tear up, but she was like, I want to thank you. Almost every night we have men coming to take from us. And tonight you guys gave to us. And I just want to thank you for that. And like, that was it. And then I, you know, we never saw her, get, you know, I don't, I don't know where she's at. I don't know what her life is like, but it's like in that moment, it's so sobering. You can't unsee or unhear, what you just experienced when it comes to that. And so I think that whole situation humanized traffic, trafficking to me, whether it, it wasn't just on a TV screen anymore. And after that, I was really passionate about like, how do we, what do we do about this? And then, yeah, eventually um, learning more about Exodus Cry 2, especially what they've done, it's it, it really stirred in my heart. And, you know, now working with them, I see a lot more of that trafficking isn't just this thing that happens you know in a different country it does it definitely does but it happens more often than not right in front of our eyes and it happens in broad daylight and especially you know the porn industry and trafficking are so correlated you can't have one without the other and that's what a lot of our research has been geared towards even the last few years
1: one of the things i'm curious and i don't want to lead the witness so i'm not going to provide the <laughs> anecdote yet but i think you and i probably already know the answer to this but for just for the listeners what is it so triggering about talking about Jesus in a brothel that is so prohibitive. Why would they not want that to be talked about?
0: Like you said, I think we can look at it and and know the power of the gospel that Jesus came to set captives free. And it's hard to mention his name without uncovering the power of darkness that is there. The minute we hit the red light district, when I tell you that a spirit filled the car that we were sitting in, it was tangible. Like we were all laughing in the car, joking around as we were headed to the red, uh, like that area, which is, you know, it sounds awful to say we were just like laughing and joking, but we were. And then the minute we took a right turn and we're driving down the red light district, all of us got cold chills. Immediate darkness filled the car. And that whole area is permeated with the enemy because the enemy comes to still kill and destroy and he's doing that on blast in the red light district he's he is stealing these women's identity 99 percent of the pe- buyers of sex are men and 99 percent of those being purchased are women and children and so he is stealing and captivating the, the minds of the men and a lot of them are western men especially in foreign countries which is really saddening to hear but it's true um, and then these women's identities are being crushed stolen and trampled on. And so when it comes to speaking the name of Jesus, they have a lot of people, missionaries, all those things come to those environments and they know, they know if they had and out because a lot of these ministries give an out. And actually that night we gave our card to one of the girls. We gave it to all of them, but one girl took hold of it and was actually left the next day, was able to get out. She called us. One of the team members with the, the organization we were working with was able to go get her. I don't know where she is nowadays, but I know that she, at least that night or that next day was no longer in the brothel, which is incredible. But I think these moms and pops at these brothels know that. And the minute that that out is given via the freedom that Jesus brings. It's like they have to combat it.
1: What's your perspective on an issue like human trafficking where it feels so far away, like you described, but you know, you've seen it firsthand. You're working full time at a job, raising awareness to it. How do we as people take on solving such an issue that we know is terrible, Mm -hmm. but yet feels so far away and in such the dark corners of of the world what can we as people who know better do about that
0: i think a lot of what we do at excess cry because we have we have dabbled in almost like every field of anti-trafficking like we've had i think they've had safe homes or things like that in the past they have outreach teams they we have all these different things but i think one of the most powerful things that we do is preventative care via media like The documentaries that we do, the awareness that we raise, a lot of people have this paradigm of, like we said, of what trafficking is, and they see it through that lens. And the minute that that's shattered, watching the documentaries, when you see the reality of it, just like it was for me, when I saw firsthand these women being bought and sold you cannot unsee that. You cannot unlearn that. And it's this fire that gets lit in your belly of like, I want to see captives truly set free. And that is the, the most tangible way of doing that is helping others catch the fire too. And so I think for just like the everyday person, it's, it, it is, it's awareness. It's getting the word out. It's sharing It's sharing documentaries like ours, but even not even being biased. Like it is partnering with other organizations that are out there doing the thing, rescuing these women. Cause maybe you as like a 25 year old person, you know, working a corporate job, you can't maybe just like drop your job and go move to Thailand and rescue women on the side of the street. You maybe can't do that, but you can support organizations that are and help them have the ability and longevity to do that. Because I can tell you that a lot of people doing this work, it is so heavy. I do our podcasts and our events and and I'm in that world a lot. And it's even heavy for me when I'm not even necessarily the one out there doing the rescuing of the women. When you're recognizing, And constantly in the headspace of hearing these things over and over. It gets heavy. And when you are supporting organizations that are out there doing this work, you are supporting the people who are, um, giving, giving their lives for this. And I think that that is a very tangible, practical way of going after it, um, I mean, a lot of what we do at Exodus Cry too. We do a lot of campaigns. Um, so I was just telling you a bit, a bit ago, but back in 2020, we ran a campaign called Trafficking Hub, and you could still look it up online because we still have people signing the petition and things now. But I think a lot of people don't realize the correlation between porn and trafficking. You li- you literally cannot have one without the other. A pornified culture feeds into the desire and demand for sex and purchasing of sex. If we did not have porn odds are the 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 purchasing of sex would the demand for it would be significantly lower if not non-existent um and so they feed into each other and with Pornhub they had hundreds hundreds and hundreds of videos of revenge porn of unconsented sex of sexual exploitation of even child pornography And these these guys who are the moderators of it are not they're given Thousands of videos to moderate a day, and they have verbally said that they don't have the much as much time and mental capacity to go through every single video to moderate. Like, th- yes, this isn't you know, this isn't someone who's being trafficked, or yes, this isn't someone who is you know, unconsenting. Um, so all these videos just get uploaded to Pornhub, and so we back in 2020 fought for, um, like basically the demise of Pornhub, and you can learn more about that specifically on on our podcast, we have a whole podcast talking about the, that whole campaign, but we do a lot of campaigns that go after these issues and even just signing the campaign, sharing them with their friends. When voices are united and together, you really truly can make a difference, but it has to be standing up for it. And I think that's like the most tangible thing that we can do.
1: What's your personal perspective, whether that's just Sloan herself or Sloan who works for Exodus cry on, you know, you, you, really laid it out there and provided an anecdote of being that you can't have trafficking without porn and this idea of purchasing sex which I think on I'm gonna say on a vanilla level (laughs) is is really put in the minds of everyday teen culture through platforms like OnlyFans and even things on TikTok that leads their links to OnlyFans that's this idea of I can purchase explicit content of this creator whether it's male or woman of them being naked of performing sex acts and I think we're in this dangerous point in society at a thousand foot level where we are programming those you know neural pathways of I can just purchase and you know I'm I'm sorry for saying this explicitly like get off to whatever I want with just whatever amount of money which then easily you can say you can see that kind of equation of how that idea of like paying for sex so I know you kind of talked about it on your last answer but just what's your perspective on or what are you seeing through exodus cry of this kind of vanilla it's okay to do porn because we've somehow equated that society is against us the only way to get ahead is to make a ton of money and the fastest way to make a ton of money is to take your clothes off online totally so what's what do you think is like the future and the dangers of that is it simply more of what we're seeing in trafficking or is there even a newer darker direction that that could go.
0: Yeah. Well, what we have seen is that in the porn industry alone, well, first off, the sex industry is a multi-billion dollar industry a year. It profits off off of the sexual exploitation of primarily women, um, but men too. And it is solely there to just keep feeding itself, making money, making money, making money. Most of the time people think that it's such a glamorous career or people try to put off that it's such a glamorous career, but I can, I can't even count if I had a million hands. Like I couldn't count how often we have people who are in the industry, um, still currently in the industry saying how, um, they're being victimized by it. It's not this glamorous, beautiful, it's, it's a it's an illusion. What you're seeing most of the time is an illusion. I can't say for every single person who's in the porn industry or in the OnlyFans um, side of it that it's not glamorous for them. But I can say the vast majority of people on these platforms are not having this glamorous experience that you're thinking. And a lot of them, when it comes to OnlyFans, there's there's a lot, there's a rising number of people actually being trafficked via OnlyFans. And we would look at trafficking as anyone who's being forced, coerced, or manipulated into selling their body for sex, sexual exploitation, things like that. Um, A survivor once put it like this. She's like, people are getting what they want because of something that we need. So they need shelter. They need finances. They need a ride. They need XYZ. And these people are wanting sex, wanting pleasure, wanting... XYZ. So it's that exchange with the additive of coercion, force, manipulation added into it. With OnlyFans, we are seeing a rising number of very young girls, impressionable people being groomed into the idea, like via culture, that this is totally fine. Like all, like you said, the music, the, the things that people are talking about, how it's so cool, fun to sell feet pics or whatever. Um, they're being talked into this idea, at very young ages, or so they're essentially being groomed. And then the minute they turn 18, they're able to then upload these, this explicit content. They don't understand the ramifications of that at 18. Your brain is not fully developed right then and there, the culture has already, the pornified culture has already convinced you of something. And then especially if we've seen these girls who have had boyfriends or people who are essentially saying, hey, I'll take care of your OnlyFans account like don't even worry about it like I'll, I'll make sure that the money comes through good or I'll take care of that for you and essentially they're being trafficked because these men are taking their money deciding when the girls get to have the money deciding when and what they upload some of these boyfriends are like yeah like take a video of you doing this take a video of you doing that upload it then I will coordinate what money you get from that. And they become, it's like the, honestly, I mean, I don't want to necessarily dive into it, but the Andrew Tate situation with all of these girls being basically trafficked at his hand. And I think that people think it's so glamorous and cool. Um, but there is nothing cool about sexual exploitation and being held captive and not being able to control your own finances, not being able to, um, control your own workspace and, and some of these women I you know I can't like I said I can't speak for all of them but some of these women and men maybe they this is their thing but one thing I will say especially on the you know because I can speak clearly to the women's perspective a lot of these the women that I see they're they're doing it as a like almost like a feminist standpoint of like you know what men are men are gonna objectify me anyway so I might as well make money off of it we've actually had people say that and they think that like this is me taking a stance against the men and being like you know what like kind of like f you like I'm gonna I'm gonna make money and I'm gonna go for women's rights I'm fighting for my you know (laughs) womanhood I guess but I don't think that they realize if they take a step back they're still working for the man like I said 99% of buyers of sex and porn are men you're still working if they didn't purchase your pictures you wouldn't have a job. So essentially you are still working for the man, like in that in that extent. And so I think even just ripping the veil out behind that conversation um and that narrative is really eye opening.
1: I hope that people have learned at this point that everything on social media is not as it seems. There's yeah. plenty of documentaries out behind social media influencers and how they present themselves as one thing online but actually they're miserable depressed committing suicide having extreme mental health issues so i can only imagine that that is amplified being a sex worker online but again tiktok culture OnlyFans culture of posting well i'm making you know a hundred thousand dollars a you know a month and then all these rap songs are written about it but i think we could probably break this down in a thousand different ways but i know we have very limited time here and i want to make sure that we kind of carve out this last section to just talk about this new film yeah. that we're, you're actually here in nashville right now debuting and i know there's still some more dates and locations on the tour yeah. heading up and, and really i'm curious because uh i know Exodus describes put out a lot of great content and films but this one feels special feels different feels unique in just the plot and just the overall creative direction so i'll turn it over to you to just kind of talk a little about that
0: this film we have like you mentioned we've been on um a we're on our U S tour right now. So we've been traveling for the last month around the U S um, premiering this film in different um, cities and locations. And yeah, we're in Nashville right now, which has been super fun. Um, but this film, it's called buying her and it is the first documentary ever, not just for us, but first documentary ever done on the perspective of a former sex buyer. And a lot of what we do at Exodus cry, and this will continue to stay the same as we fight for the victims and survivors. Um, that is like our bread and butter. We fight for their voices to be heard. We fight for their freedom. We fight for their safety. That is a lot of what we do. But we ma- we notice this massive gap um, where these johns or these sex buyers. Like ha- you don't just wake up one day and become a hardened sex predator. You don't wake up one day and say, Hey, I just want to. I want to buy a woman for sex today, or I want to buy a child for sex today. That doesn't just happen overnight. What happened? to lead them to that moment. And I think this film paints a beautiful, beautiful, maybe it's not the right word, but it paints a very real story um, in digestible in parts. It's a really heavy film, but it, it helps break down how... How did you get here? What happened? And we we are definitely still fighting for the victim and the survivor in this film, and their voices are definitely presented in the film very loudly. And we make sure that that's always like number one. Um, but in this film, we're we're like, if there is a redemptive path out for these victims um, of sexual exploitation, ex- sexual exploitation, and we fought for their freedom, what would it look like? to have a redemptive way out for the former sex buyer. Like how do we, how do we manage that tension of wanting victims safe and taken care of while also being like, we can't have a whole mass, vast majority of these men. Like what happens? How do we do that? How do we ride that tension? Um, and that line well, and I think this film kind of paints that picture pretty well. Um, so, you know, all of the men that we interviewed, are vetted, safe, incredible men now. They have had former, or they've had stories of being former sex buyers, but uh, the majority of them are either running advocacy programs now, um, you know, working with organizations, churches, nonprofits to help men that are sex addicts. Um, so they're all very trusted and safe. One of them is actually traveling with us. He's incredible. Um, is very honest with his story. And I think that that's why this film is done so well is because of their honesty and transparency. Because our hope is that through this film, we can capture a generation of men to rise up and fight for women. If 99, like I said, if 99% of the buyers of sex are men, and 99% of the per- those purchased are women and children, then if men are a big part of the problem, they can also be the solution. And that is what we're trying to paint with this film. And we try to correlate that the early childhood exposure to pornography to how that shapes the narrative of their sexual appetite as they grow older. Most kids are finding porn between eight and 11, if not younger than that. Now I had a person come up to me the other day at one of our screenings and tell me that his six year old daughter or son was addicted to pornography and six years old. How do we, how do we capture the hearts of these almost men? So they don't become these hardened sex predators in the future. And I feel like that's what this film does in great detail. It's heavy. It's not a cute sugar-coated film, but it's so needed.
1: So, how can people get more involved with Exodus Cry? How can they best support you? Is it coming out, watching the films? Is it reposting, resharing your content online? How can people get involved?
0: Yeah, all of it. We are finishing up our U.S. tour now. We head to Atlanta on you know this Friday, um, and that kind of concludes our U.S. tour. But then we start our Europe tour um mid-May and we'll be gone until mid-June and we'll be in like London and Vive, Switzerland. We'll be in all of these we'll be in Amsterdam as well, which is gonna be wild. Um but yeah, sharing about it, getting the word out there. Um I think we have a lot of really great podcasts and really great blogs on the issue. So if you're wanting to dive in, learn more, um grab a hold of those. We just released our newest book, Raised on Porn, um, which kind of dives into that greater issue of a pornified culture and how that feeds into trafficking. Um, I encourage anyone listening to, to pick that up and read that. Um, and then yeah, share about our content, share with different organizations that we've partnered with. We have like a whole recommended resources kind of part on our website, check those out. And then, yeah, I think that's the biggest way of getting connected to what we do.
1: Last question. I know you got to go. So <laughs> every guest always gets the same last question. The No More Zero Days podcast is a podcast about helping people get out of the mentality of living a zero day, which a zero day is simply getting nothing done towards your dream or goal, whether that's quitting porn, whether that's losing weight, whether that's getting to know Jesus. It's just about moving people forward. So what could you share uniquely to or speak to the the boy or girl, man or woman who is dealing with that porn addiction and, and is kind of stuck in this tension of, yeah. I know this is something I should stop. And it continually is getting, pulling me darker and darker towards worse and worse topics and images and yeah. things. Like, what could you share or speak to that?
0: I think the first thing that comes to my mind is, um, and I always get like kind of em- emotional when I think about this, but If that is you, if you are the one that's saying, yeah, I am deep in the trenches of a porn addiction and I don't know how to get out and I don't feel like there is a way out. Oftentimes we are so wrapped in shame that we can't see that there is a light at the end of the tunnel. Um, And I imagine, like I'd even want you to take a moment to imagine the little you. Statistics are showing that it was probably between eight and 11 that you were even found Porn out of curiosity, friend showed it to you, older cousin, family member, someone showed you porn, you found it out of accidental clicking on an ad, something like that. And how that essential moment wasn't necessarily your fault. That's not me saying that you can't take accountability for where you're at now. But I do think there is this moment that you get, you can have with yourself of like, oh, eight-year-old Sloan, you so innocently found something that you had no idea of the consequences of. You have no idea what you were stepping into. And there is this level of compassion that if you get to find that and need the six, seven, eight year old self, um, that there's this light that becomes at the end of the tunnel because you can see like, oh, there was a life before porn. There will be a life after porn. And I would encourage you to get um, people who are not just keeping you accountable to not watching porn, but keeping you accountable to your greatness, calling you higher in ways of like, well, how are you going after your dreams life is happening in front of you. And it's not just managing your sex drive and it's not just managing your, you know, porn addiction there's so much more life happening surrounding that and so often we get tunnel vision where we're like i just need to get over this thing i need to not watch porn i need to not do this thing i'll be loved when i'll be loved when i stop watching porn i can go after my dreams when i stop watching porn but oftentimes when we have incredible people who are speaking into our life calling us higher we get to see that there is a life after porn, just like there was one before it. And so I encourage those of you who are in that to get connected with a greater community who's speaking life over you in that way. Get connected with organizations like like Excess Cry. Pick up that book, Por- Raised on Porn. I will say I have been in this field for the last six years. That is the best book I have ever read on the issue of pornography and how to um, not just you know quit porn, but how it even started. I think it's incredible. You should check that out. And then there's organizations like More Evolution that talks in depth about pornography. There's many resources out there. It's just the matter of you being able to find the ones that are working for you. And first off, isolation is never going never gonna to fix a porn issue. Shame will never um, lead you into wholeness. So bringing in people that sp- speak higher over you is going to be a massive part of the path out.